Jesus, we um, just want to take like our hearts and our souls and place them in the promise that even when we don't see it and even when we don't feel it, that you are at work in our lives. And I think we need that that promise uh, held before us as a spiritual family as we enter a, a season of significant transition. But we also need it just in those places in our lives that feel stuck, that feel frustrating, the places where sin easily entangles, the place where our brokenness won't leave us alone. Lord, we need to trust and, and we just want to place our souls in the promise today that even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, you're working. And so um, in these next few moments, as we open the scriptures together, Holy Spirit, would you be working in, with, and under uh, the words that I feel like you've given me for today, in, with, and under us and our wavering attention spans? Uh, and would you come, Holy Spirit, in a fresh way? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Well, if we have not had an opportunity to meet yet, my name is Kyle, and I get to be one of the pastors here, and I want to just name something that's happening in the room really clearly, uh, because we intentionally, and the word there is intentionally, cut our live stream last week um, for us to make the announcement that Steph and I will be moving to Fort Wayne, Indiana this summer. And we've put that out in some other email locations, but I wanted uh, to remind you or share that with you this morning because I see some faces that weren't in the room last week. In fact, I see some new faces in the room. So I don't know. Hello. Goodbye. I don't know. What is this? Um, but uh, it's something that God has clearly called Steph and I into. It's not an opportunity that we were looking for, but um, our commitment uh, as individuals before we got married and then when we got married was to be precisely where God called us to be. Um, and actually, if you had asked us a couple years ago and said, where do you think, if God were to call you anywhere, we would have assumed it was overseas. So our families are just thrilled that we'll still be in the continental U.S. Um, but um, I just wanted to share that with you out on the front because immediately after our gathering this morning, our leadership team is hosting the second of three Q&A sessions because we find ourselves in a number of different transitions. This is just another one. And so there's obviously a lot of questions. And so we're going to have some pizza with that lunch. I was just going to have you, if you plan on staying for lunch today for the Q&A, would you just raise your hand really high so that Holden can guesstimate how much pizza he's buying? Okay, up high, way high, way, way high. Okay, yeah, cool. If you can't stay today, there's another one this Wednesday evening on Zoom. And the Zoom link for that will go out by email uh, Wednesday morning, if not sooner. So just so you know. Um, so we're going to be in this series. It's interesting. We're in this series called Who Do You Say That I Am? Uh, and some of the preaching team and I met back in August and we planned out uh, really every sermon through the end of calendar year 2023 together. And we planned this, this uh, series around the idea as we prayed about it together um, the idea that it's really hard to follow Jesus if you don't know who he is, right? Which is logical, and then you start to think about it and think, well, do I really know who Jesus is? Or what are the circumstances in my life that kind of interrupt and cause me to see Jesus differently? 
and there's something to me that's very poignant about this series um, as news of this transition might be causing some of you to see Jesus a little differently and that's okay um, so we're going to be looking at John chapter 11 this morning John chapter 11 if you have your Bible with you as we look at one of the uh, yet another I am saying of Jesus John 11 When I, when I officiate a funeral, there's a liturgical prayer, a, a historical prayer of the church, a prayer that originates from the ninth century that I use pretty much every time. And the opening line of that prayer says, in the midst of life, we are in death. In the midst of life, we are in death. I think those words are important because it reminds us that life and death aren't a toggle switch, right? It's not life or death. It's like a dimmer switch. It's this mishmash, our lives, aren't they, of life and death, kind of all intermixed and piled on top of each other. It's not life over here and death over here. It's all of these things happening to us all at once. I mean, we go about our lives and we find, we do, we find real joy and real peace and real freedom. It is not all terrible all the time, unless you're a Browns fan. Um, <laughs> there are moments, there are moments, many of them, with satisfaction and delight. But in the midst of the good, there is the bad. The death of a relationship, the death of a dream, the death of a career the death of well-laid plans, and yes, even literal, I've been trying to figure out what to call it, literal, biological, physical death. In the midst of life, we are in death, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. I wonder where you're experiencing death this morning. What does it mean to have the resurrection life that Jesus promises us even in the midst of death? This is why we turn to John 11. John 11. This is a passage I've preached rather frequently, so we're spending just a few moments here and then moving elsewhere. But in John 11, we find Jesus at a funeral. We find Jesus arriving late to a funeral. And it's not just any funeral. By the way, those of you that like to arrive late to things, Jesus isn't giving you permission to do that, okay? That was a one-off thing. So help us, the rest of us, love you more by showing up on time. Amen? Amen? Amen. Okay. And it's not just any funeral that Jesus goes to. It's the funeral of his dear friend Lazarus. So Jesus arrives late, and when he does, Lazarus' sister comes running to him, and this is what we read starting in verse 21 of John chapter 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Verse 23, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. 
Martha comes to Jesus, and her vision of Jesus is obscured. It's hindered. That's what happens in the midst of grief, yeah? How we see Jesus, what we have to say about who he is, these convictions, these foundations, they're tested. And in Martha's case, she hasn't lost her faith. She isn't deconstructing. Martha's answers here in John 11, they're spot on theologically. She calls Jesus Lord. She knows God will give Jesus whatever he asks. She even confesses her ongoing belief in the resurrection. If Martha were taking some sort of theological exam, she would pass with flying colors. And yet, while Martha holds these convictions tightly, it's almost like she holds them at a distance. Is this sounding familiar? Oh, I believe these things. I know they're true, but I'm not sure I want them to be that true that up close. She affirms they are true generally, but, but she has distanced herself from them personally. So that's why Jesus asks Martha a question in verses 25 to 26. He's seeking to reconnect her convictions and her experience. Look again at uh, 11, 25, and 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. But did you notice, look at the end, there's a question. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, Martha? When, our, when we experience grief, our convictions about who Jesus is and what he's like and what he's here to do can become fuzzy. Death and grief throw everything into, a, into question in just a moment. Conviction is replaced by confusion. Trust is overcome by a troubled heart. But Jesus says in the midst of death and in the midst of grief that he is the resurrection and the life. What Jesus is saying here is important. He is saying that resurrection is more than an event. It is more than a miracle of which he is capable of performing. He is saying that resurrection is quintessential to who he is. That resurrection is part of his nature. Therefore, resurrection is easy for Jesus. Because resurrection is who Jesus is. Jesus says that life is more than just a gift that he gives. Like resurrection, life is quintessential to who Jesus is. Life is part of his nature. So it's easy for Jesus to bring life to dead places because of who he is. Now in John 11, we find Jesus bringing literal resurrection and life to a literal dead body. As the passage goes on, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And this is easy for him to do. Why? Because resurrection and life are just who he is. That such miracles, resurrection, new life, bringing people back from the dead, that, 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 that's easy for Jesus. That is good news for us when death literal physical death comes crashing into our lives it is good news for us to know that jesus is resurrection and life 
because it means there will be a day when we see Jesus face to face. There will be a day when we are reunited with those who loved him. Why? Because anyone who believes in Jesus will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die, Jesus says. But what if the grief and the death we're experiencing is less tangible, less physical, less literal, and more metaphorical, more existential? What if it's the death of a hope? The death of a dream? What if death's presence in our life looks like the slow drip drip of persistent pain and suffering? And what does it mean for Jesus to bring life to us, to be resurrection and life for us and in us in the midst of that kind of death? To answer that, look at, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul is describing his apostolic ministry. He's also, and we're not going to get into why, he's also defending his apostolic ministry. But as he describes it, he says this in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And, and because some of us in the room are newer believers, I just want you to hear this passage of Scripture a couple of times because this is, a, this is an important one, okay? He says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Let me just, it's too good. Let me just read it again. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, Paul is telling us what it feels like to say, in the midst of life, we are in death. Do you know what it feels like? It feels like to be pressed by troubles on every side, but not crushed. To be knocked down, but not destroyed. To be hunted down, but not abandoned by God. As we go through life, we are hard-pressed by troubles. We are often perplexed. We are often knocked down. Sometimes it even feels like we are being pursued and hunted by trouble and pain. But Paul says, in the midst of this, are we crushed? No. Are we driven to despair? No. Are we destroyed? No. Are we abandoned by God? No. How can this be? It can be this way because as followers of Jesus, hear me, this is important. As followers of Jesus who walk in the way of a rabbi who suffered and died, when we experience suffering and pain and hardship of any kind, in the midst of that suffering and pain, we're actually connecting with Jesus at a deeper level. As followers of Jesus, as people who walk in the way of a rabbi who suffered and died, who the scriptures say learned obedience from the things he suffered, when we experience suffering and pain and hardship, we connect with Jesus on a deeper level. 
We share in the sufferings of Christ, Paul says. In Philippians, he says, I long to experience the fellowship of his suffering. In, in, in Colossians, Paul says this really interesting line. He says, when we suffer in this life, we are filling up what is lacking in the sufferings of Jesus. It's as if Jesus left a little bit of suffering to us so that we could share that with him. And in sharing it with him, experiencing his suffering and the fellowship of his sufferings, we might know him and his heart in a deeper way. Jesus suffered and died. And when we suffer, sure, for our faith, but in all those times and places and ways that death and pain show up, in all of those ways that we encounter suffering, Paul says, we encounter Jesus. We encounter the death of Jesus. But it's not just the death of Jesus. Paul says in verse 10, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. See, some of us, it's all death all the time, right? Calvinists are really good at this, and if you know that joke, you know it, and if you don't, that's fine, but it's all hard all the time, no matter what, right? I'm just suffering for the Lord, but he's good. You know, some of you get, some of the time, it's like, you know, every once in a while, you can touch, get in touch with the life of Jesus, friend. Then my Pentecostal friends are over, like, praise the Lord, it's great all the time, and I'm like, really? That's annoying, <laughs> right? And actually, there's this radical middle, isn't there, that we experience the death of Jesus in our suffering, but we also experience the life of Jesus. When we suffer and death comes crashing in, we share in the death of Jesus and in the life of Jesus. A few verses later in, in, in verse 16, Paul puts it this way, though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. Sorrow and suffering and disappointment and death are a part of our lives. And yet Paul says, suffering is the doorway that leads to the life of Jesus welling up in us. In new and surprising and powerful ways. See, we want the new and surprising and powerful life of Jesus. We want victory. We want to be overcomers. We want to be more than conquerors. The trick is that the path to overcoming, the path to victory, the path to resurrection is simply death. In other words, there cannot be resurrection without a death. Right? You can have all of that. You just got to die first. And that's what we see in Jesus, isn't it? The cross, suffering, death, then resurrection. Paul says that suffering is the doorway to the life of Jesus. In fact, Paul says in our suffering, we share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus becomes something we experience. We will suffer, but that suffering is the doorway to the life of Jesus. Death, death be it literal or literal and tangible and physical or something more abstract and less pointed despair and disappointment and grief these are the places paul says that we can meet jesus the resurrection and life in new ways how can this be because we are connected to jesus 
because we are connected to Jesus. Now this, by the way, is one of those things, before we unpack this idea of being connected to Jesus, this is one of those things, this is one of those walking by faith things that only makes sense, that only works if you're connected to Jesus. If you aren't connected to Jesus, one, I'm glad you're here, two, everything I just said sounds like malarkey. It, it holds within it an internal logic that means it only really is true for those who are connected to Jesus. See, this is why Jesus did not come to get people who occasionally mentally agree with the things that he said. What Jesus comes to do is find people who lay down their lives for him, to find people that will live their life in a Jesus-shaped way. And it's only when you're living your life in a Jesus-shaped way. It is only when you are following Jesus. It is only when you are connected to Jesus that everything I've said to this point becomes true. If Jesus is for you an abstraction or a religious obligation, but not a real person with whom you have an ongoing, imperfect, but interactive relationship, if you aren't connected to Jesus, then everything I've said at this point is just garbage. But if you are connected to Jesus, if you are connected to Jesus, everything is different. See, this is why Paul and Jesus, in both these passages, what's in both these passages, is an invitation for us in the midst of these moments, in the midst of these, in the midst of life we are in death moments, in those moments, there's an invitation from Jesus and Paul to stay connected to Jesus, to stay connected to Jesus. What does Jesus say to Martha? What does Jesus say to Martha? I am the resurrection and I am the life. If you believe in me, you will never die. And everyone who believes in me and follows me will never die. He says to Martha, do you believe this? He's offering Martha an invitation to connect with him. Martha's connection to Jesus has kind of been broken through grief and death. And that'll happen. Right? And I'm not talking eternal salvation things. I'm talking about, like, depth of intimacy things. Okay? Something about Martha's connection with Jesus has kind of been broken. And so Jesus is just offering her a very gentle, hey, Martha, come back. Hey, Martha, come back. Connect with me again. Jesus is extending Martha an invitation to stick close to him, to stay connected to him, even in her grief. And what does Paul say to us? What does Paul say to us as we are hard-pressed but not crushed? And I love these things. He says, we are never abandoned by God. He's offering us an invitation to stay connected to Jesus, the one who always is with us, the one who loves us yet and loves us still. How do we stay connected to Jesus in the midst of grief, suffering, disappointment, and death? How do we stay connected to Jesus? Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. So we don't look we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. So we don't look. Here's how we stay connected to Jesus. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Instead, we fix our gaze on what cannot be seen. In the midst of life, in the midst of life, we are in death. And staying connected to Jesus 
in those times of death. It's all a matter of attention and focus. You could say that our connection with Jesus is a matter of our concentration, of where we put our eyes. If your eyes focus only on the death and the pain and the disappointment, you will lose sight of Jesus. You will. You'll find it hard to stay connected to Jesus and bitter and bitterness and anger and cynicism will just come creeping in. It'll totally overtake your walk with God. But, but, but if your eyes are looking for Jesus and not in some Pollyanna deny the reality of the situation you're in, but really looking at the grim reality of what you're facing and even still looking for where might Jesus be in the midst of this awful circumstance? Where is he at work in, with, and under these circumstances? If you're looking for where Jesus is in the midst of the suffering and pain, you'll stay connected to Jesus. And that's when passages in scripture about suffering become more true, not less. Like listen to what Paul says in Romans 3, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It's one of our family's favorites. We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. I'm sorry, what? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help, help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and, crank, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope, listen, this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. See, that passage is another malarkey thing unless we're connected to Jesus. But when we stay connected to Jesus in the midst of our pain and our suffering, suddenly we find ourselves rejoicing in the midst of suffering. Suddenly, we're filled with a confident hope of salvation. Suddenly, we have a deeper encounter with the Holy Spirit. This series is all about who we say Jesus is because we can't follow Jesus if we don't know who he is and we can't stay connected to Jesus if we don't see him clearly. Death and grief have incredible power to change the way we see Jesus, to change what we have to say about him. I mean, this is absolutely true of physical death. Someone you love dies, it can absolutely change the entire way that you see the world. Leave us with deep questions about the goodness of God and his character. But it's true of other kinds of death. It's true of the death of a dream. The Bible calls that a hope deferred, which it says, goes on to say, makes the heart sick. You lose your job or a relationship, Parenting is harder than you imagined. Plot twist, grandparenting is even harder. Amen. There it is. <laughs> Only one of you was bold enough to say it, but everybody else was thinking it. <laughs> there are all sorts of dreams that die. There are all sorts of plans that we have to bury. I thought maybe it would be good just to talk about the thing that we're talking about without talking about it. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Okay. So Steph and I shared this news that God's been calling us to Fort Wayne. When you heard that last week, something may have died for you. Something died for us when we realized that God was calling. In fact, we spent most of the early weeks of wrestling with that crying. Because we thought and we dreamt that our kids would grow up together
You know, you dreamt, some of you dreamt that we would get to lead together for longer. Some of you dreamt that I would do your funeral. You would be surprised how often that's been said to me. <laughs> I really did dream that I would kind of get to know your kids as they moved from like little to elementary to teenagers. We dreamt that we would see more miracles, that we'd really be doing the things. And I mean, we didn't dream that you would die, right? <laughs> like we weren't dreaming about your funerals, uh, but we were dreaming about caring for you in that season. Yeah, something died, and in the midst of that, listen again to the words of Paul. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our, things, our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, and the things we cannot see will be forever. Do you know what else Paul says in that little line in uh, verse 16? Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed day by day, I skipped a sentence. He says, that's why we never give up. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. In the midst of life, we are in death. In the midst of life, we are in death. But friends, stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. The prayer that I pray at funerals, that here's the whole thing. In the midst of life, we are in death. From whom can we seek help? Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God, who raised Christ from the dead, will give life to your mortal bodies also through the spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. You show me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen.